0: Part two chapter twelve of the Adventures of Jimmy Dale This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox. The Adventures of Jimmy Dale by Frank L Packard reading by Lars Rolander. Part two The Woman in the Case Chapter twelve John Johansson four to eight Nearly midnight already. It was even later than he had thought. Larry the Bat pressed his face against the shop's window pane on the Bowery for a glance at a clock that had caught his eyes on the wall within. Nearly midnight. He slouched on again hurriedly, still debating in his mind as he had been debating it all the way from the Toxans, the question of returning again to the sanctuary. So far, the way both to Spider Jack's and the sanctuary had been in the same direction, but the sanctuary was on the next street. Jimmie Dale reached the corner and hesitated. It was strange how strong was the intuition upon him to-night, that bade him go on, and make all speed to spider-jacks, while equally strong was the cold, stubborn logic that bade him go first to the sanctuary. There were things that he needed there that would probably be absolutely essential to him before the night was out, things without which he might be so badly handicapped as to invite failure from the start. And yet... It was already midnight. Ostensibly, both Makov and Spider Jack closed their places at eleven. But that might mean anything, depending upon their own respective inclinations, or on what of their own peculiar brand of deviltry might be afoot. If they were still about, still in evidence, he was still too early. Midnight, though it was, though, on the other hand, if the coast was clear, he could ill afford to lose a moment of the time between now and the hour that the magpie had planned for the robbery of Henry Lasalle. For it would not be an easy matter, even once inside Spider Jack's, to find that package, since it was Spider's open boast that things committed to his care were where the police or anyone else might as well whistle and suck their thumbs as try to find them. And then, with sudden decision, taking his hesitation, as it were, by the throat, Dale hurried on again to the sanctuary. At most it could delay him but another fifteen minutes, and by half-past twelve, or a quarter to one at the latest, he would be at Spider Jack's. Disdaining the secrecy of the side-door on the alley, for who had a better right, or was better known there than Larry the Bat, a tenant of years, he entered the tenement by the front door, scuffled up the stairs to the first landing, and let himself into his disreputable room. He locked the door behind him, lighted the choked and wheezy gas-jet, in a single, sharp-flung glance assured himself that the blinds were tightly shut, and, kneeling in the far corner, threw back the oilcloth and lifted up the low section of the flooring beneath. He reached inside, fumbling under the neatly folded cloth of Jimmy Dale, and, in a moment, laid his leather girdle with his kit of burglar's tools on the floor beside him. And beside that again, an electric flashlight, a black silk mask, and, what he had never expected to use again, when, early the night before, he had, as he had believed, put it away forever, the thin metal insignia case of the grey seal. Another moment, and, with the flooring replaced, the oilcloth rolled back into position. He had stripped off his coat, and was pulling his spotted greasy shirt off over his head. Then, stooping quickly, he picked up the girdle, put it on, put on his shirt again over it, put on his coat, put the metal case, the flashlight, and the mask in his pockets. And once more, the sanctuary was in darkness." it was perhaps fifteen minutes later that Jimmie dale turned into the upper section of thompson street here he slowed his pace that had been almost a run since he had left the sanctuary and began to shuffle leisurely along for the street that a few hours before would have been choked with its push-carts and vendors its half-naked children playing where they could find room in the gutters, its sidewalks thronged with shawled women, and picturesquely dressed, earring, dark, visaged men, A scene, as it were, transported from some foreign land, was still far from deserted. The quiet, if quiet it could be called, was but comparative. There were many yet about, and he had no desire to attract attention by any evidence of undue haste, and besides, Spider Jacks was just ahead, making the corner of the alleyway a few hundred feet farther on, and he had very good reasons for desiring to approach Spider's little novelty store at a pace that would afford him every opportunity for observation. On he shuffled along the street, until, reaching Spider Jacks, a little two-storied tumble-down brick structure, a muttered exclamation of satisfaction escaped him. The shop was closed and dark. And, though Spider Jack lived above the store, there were no lights even in the upper windows. Spider Jack, presumably, was either out or in bed. So far, then, he could have asked for nothing more. Jimmie Dale edged in close to the building, as he slouched by, so close that his hat-brim seemed to touch the window-pane. It was possible that from a room at the rear of the store there might be a light, with a tell-tale ray perhaps filtering through, say a door crack, but there was nothing, only blackness within he paused at the corner of the building by the alleyway, down here, adjoining the high board fence of Spider Jack's backyard. Makoff made pretence as pawnbrokering in a small and dingy wooden building that was little more pretentious than a shed, and in Makoff's place, so far as he could see. There was no light, either. Jimmy Dale's fingers were industriously rolling a cigarette, as, under the brim of his slouch-hat, his eyes were noting every detail around him. A yard in, against the wall of spider-jacks, the wall-cutting of the rays of the street-lamp at a sharp angle, it was shadowy and black. And beyond that, farther in, the alleyway was like a pit— It would take less, far less, than the fraction of a second to gain that yard. But someone was approaching behind him, and a little group of people loitered, with annoying persistency, directly across the way on the other side of the street. Jimmie Dale stuck the cigarette between his lips, fumbled in his pockets, and finally produced a box of matches. The group opposite was moving on now. The footsteps he had heard behind him, those of a man, drew nearer, the man passed by, and the box of matches in Jimmie Dale's hand dropped to the ground. He reached to pick them up, and in his stooping posture, without seeming to turn his head, flung a quick glance behind him up the street. No one, for that fraction of a second that he needed, was near enough to see. And, in that fraction of a second, Jimmie Dale disappeared. A dozen yards down the lane, he sprang for the top, of the high fence, gripped it, and, lithe and active as a cat, swung himself up and over and dropped noiselessly to the ground on the other side. Here he stood motionless for a moment, close against the fence to get his bearings. The rear of Jack's building loomed up before him, the back windows as unlighted as those in front. Luck, so far, at least, was with him. He turned and looked about him— and his eyes growing accustomed to the darkness, he could just make out Mako's place, bordering the end of the yard, nor, from this new vantage point, could he discover any more than before, a single sign of life about the pawnbroker's establishment. Jimmie Dale stole forward across the yard, mounted the three steps of the low stoop at Spider Jack's back door, and tried the door cautiously. It was locked— from his pocket came the small steel instrument that had stood Larry the Bat in good stead a hundred times before in similar circumstances. He inserted it in the keyhole, worked deftly with it for an instant, and tried the door again. It was still locked. And then Jimmie Dale smiled, almost apologetically. Spider Jack did not use ordinary locks on his back door. The discountenanced instrument went back into his pocket, and now Jimmy Dale's hand slipped inside his shirt, and from one of the little upright pockets of the leather belt, and from still another, and from after that a third, came the vicious little blued steel tools. The sensitive fingers travelled slowly up and down the side of the door, and then he was at work in earnest. A minute passed, another... There was a dull, low, grating sound, a as of metal yielding suddenly, and Jimmy Dale was coolly stowing away his tools again, inside his shirt. He pushed the door open an inch, listened, then swung it wide, stepped inside, and closed it behind him. A round white beam of light flashed in a quick circle, and went out. It was a sort of storeroom, innocent enough, and orderly enough in appearance, bare-floored, with boxes and packing-cases piled neatly against the walls. In one corner a staircase led to the story above, and from above, quite audibly, he caught the sound of snoring. Spider-Jack was in bed then. Directly facing him was the open door of another room, and Jimmy Dale, moving softly forward, entered it. He had never been in Spider Jacks before, and his first concern was to form an intimate acquaintanceship with his surroundings. Again the flashlight circled, and again went out. "'No windows,' muttered Jimmie Dale under his breath. "'Nothing very fancy about the architecture. Three rooms in a row. Store in front of this room, through that door, of course. wonder if the door's locked, though it's a foregone conclusion the package wouldn't be in there.' Not a sound, his tread silent. He crossed to the closed door that he had noticed. It was unlocked, and he opened it tentatively a little way. A faint glow of light diffused itself through the opening. Jimmie Dale nodded his head and closed the door again. The street lamp shining through the shop windows accounted for the light. And now the flashlight played with steady inquisitiveness about him. The room in which he stood seemed to combine a sort of office with a lounging-room, in which Bideyak no doubt entertained his particular cronies. There was table in the centre, cards still upon it, chairs about it. Against the wall, farthest away from the shop, stood a huge old-fashioned cabinet, and a little farther along, angle-wise, partitioning off the corner, as it were, hung, for some purpose or other, a cretonne-curtain also against the wall next to the lane, bringing a commiserating smile to Jimmy Dale's lips as his eyes fell upon it, was a clumsy, lumbering, antique safe. Jimmy Dale's eyes returned to the curtain. What was it doing there? What was it for? Instinctively he stepped over to examine it. A single glance, however, as he lifted it aside sufficed. It was nothing— but a makeshift clothes-closet. He turned from it, switched off the flashlight, and stood staring meditatively into the darkness. In a strange house, with a knowledge to begin with that what he sought was carefully hidden, it was no sinecure to find that package. He had never for a moment imagined that it would be. But of one thing, however, there was no uncertainty in his mind He would get the package, by search if possible, by other means if search failed. It was now close to one o'clock. If by two o'clock his efforts had been fruitless, Spider Jack would hand over the package at the revolver point. It was quite simple. Meanwhile, Jimmy Dale shrugged his shoulders and, going over to the safe, knelt down in front of it. Meanwhile, as well begin here as anywhere else. The trained fingers closed on the handle, and on the instant, as though in startled amazement, shifted to the dial. They came back to the handle, a wrench, then a low, amused chuckle, and the door swung open. The great, unwieldy thing was only a monumental bluff. It not only had not been locked, but it could not be locked. The mechanism was out of order. The balls could not be moved by so much as a hair's breadth Still chuckling, Dale shot the flashlight's ray into the interior of the safe, and the chuckle died on his lips, and into his face came a look of strange bewilderment. Inside everything was in chaos, books, papers, a miscellany of articles, as though they had been ruthlessly pulled out on the floor, then gathered up in an armful and crammed back inside again for an instant he did not move and then a queer hard mirthless smile drew down the corners of his mouth with a sort of bitter expectant nod of his head he turned the light upon the door of the safe yes there were the scratches that the tools had left and as though in sardonic jest the holes where the steel bit had bored were plugged with putty and rubbed over with some black substance that was still wet and came off, smearing his finger as he touched it. It could not have been done long ago, then. How long? A half-hour? An hour? Not more than that. Mechanically he closed the door of the safe, rose to his feet, and almost heedless of noise now, the flashlight ray dancing before him, he jumped across to the old-fashioned cabinet and pulled the door open. Here, as within the safe, all inside, plain evidence of thorough, if hasty search, was scattered and tossed about in hopeless confusion. He shut the cabinet door. The flashlight went out, and he stood like a man stunned, the sense of some abysmal disaster upon him. He was too late. The game was up. If it had ever been here, the package was gone now, gone. The crime club had been here before him. The game was up! The game was up! His mind seemed to keep on repeating that. The crime club had beaten him by an hour, at most, and had been here, and had searched. It was strange, though, that they should have been at such curious pains to cover their tracks by leaving the room in order, by such paltry efforts to make the safe appear untouched, when the first glance that was at all critical would disclose immediately what had been done." Why should they need to cover their tracks at all? Or, if it was necessary, why, above all, in such a pitiful, inadequate way? His mind barked back to the same ghastly refrain. The game was up. No, not yet. There was still a chance. There was still Spider Jack. Suppose, in spite of their search, they had failed to find the package. Jimmy Dale's lips set in a thin line as he stared abruptly toward the door. There was still that chance, and one thing was grimly certain. Spider Jack would at least show him where the package had been. And then, halfway to the door, he halted suddenly and stood still, listening. An electric bell was ringing loudly, imperiously somewhere upstairs, followed almost immediately the sound of someone— Spider Jack, presumably, moving hurriedly about overhead, and then, a moment later, steps coming down the staircase in the adjoining room. Jimmie Dale drew back, flattening himself against the wall. Spider Jack entered the room, stumbled across it in the darkness, fumbled for the door that led into his little shop, opened it, "'passed through, fumbled around in there again, for matches evidently, "'then lighted a gas-jet in the store, and going to the street-door, opened it. "'Jimmy Dale had edged along the wall a little to a position "'where he had an unobstructed view through the open doorway, "'connecting the shop and the room in which he stood. Spider Jack, in trousers and shirt, hastily donned, no doubt, "'as he had got out of bed, was standing in the street-doorway and beyond him loomed the forms of several men. Spider-Jack stepped aside to allow his visitors to enter, and suddenly, a cry barely suppressed upon his lips, Jimmy Dale involuntarily strained forward. Three men had entered, but his eyes were fixed fascinated upon only one, the first of the three. Was it an hallucination? Was he mad, dreaming?' it was hilton travers the chauffeur the man whom he could have sworn he had last seen dead lashed in that chair in that ghastly death's chamber of the crime club rather rough on you spider to pull you out of bed at this hour the chauffeur was saying apologetically oh that's all right seeing it's you travers spider jack answered gruffly amiable only "'I was kind of looking for you last night.' "'I know,' the chauffeur replied. "'But I couldn't connect with my friends here. "'Shake hands with them, Spider. "'Bob Marvin? "'Harry Steed?' "'Glad to know you, gents,' said Spider Jack, with a hand grip apiece. "'The chauffeur lowered his voice a little. "'I suppose we are alone here, eh, Spider?' "'Yes. "'Well, then you know what I've come for. "'That package.' "'Marvin and Steed here are the ones that are in on it with me. "'Get it for me, will you, Spider?' "'Sure, Mr. Johansen. Spider grinned. "'Sure, come on into the back room and make yourselves comfortable. "'I'll be maybe five minutes or so.' "'Jimmy Dale's brain was whirling. "'What did it mean? "'He could not seem to understand. "'His mind seemed to refuse its functions. "'Travers, the chauffeur, alive.' He drew in his breath sharply. "'That curtain in the corner? "'He must see this out now.' They were coming. Quick, noiseless, he stole along the side of the wall, reached the corner, and slipped in behind the curtain as Spider Jack, striking a match, entered the room. Spider Jack lighted the gas, and, as the others followed behind him, waved them towards the chairs around the table.' i'll just ask you gents not to leave the room he said meaningly over his shoulder as he stepped toward the rear door it's kind of a fad of mine to keep some things even from my wife all right spider i understand the chauffeur returned readily jimmie dale's knife cut a tiny slit in the cretonne on a level with his eyes the three men had seated themselves at the table and appeared to be listening intently Spider Jack's footsteps echoed back as he crossed the rear room, sounded dull and muffled, descending the stoop outside, and died away. "'I told you it wasn't in the house,' the man who'd been introduced as Steed laughed shortly. "'We wasted the hour we had here.' The third man spoke crisply, incisively to the chauffeur. "'Turn down that gas-jet a little. You've got across with it so far.' But you can't stand a searchlight, Clark. And at the words, in a flash, the meaning of it, all of it, to the last detail that was spelling death, ruin, and disaster for her, the tocsin, for himself as well, burst upon Jimmie Dale. That voice! He would have known it, recognized it among a thousand. It was the masked man of the night before, the leader, the head of the crime club, and it was not Travers there at all he remembered now too well that second room they had showed him in the crime club its multitude of disguises though in this case they had the dead man's clothes ready to their hands the leaders boast that impersonation was but child's play to them and now he understood why they had covered up the traces of their search in only so curiously inadequate a manner they had failed to find the package and as a last resort had adopted the ruse of impersonating Hilton Travers, the chauffeur, which made it necessary that when they called Spider Jack from his bed, as they had just done, that Spider Jack, at a cautious glance, should notice nothing amiss. But it would be no more than a cautious glance, for who should know better than they? He would not have to go far for the package to any place that they had disturbed." And he, Jimmy Dale, could only stand here and watch them helpless, powerless to move. Three of them. A step out into the room was to invite certain death. It would not matter his death if he could gain anything for her, for the Toxan, by it. But what could he gain by dying? He clenched his hands until the nails bit into the flesh. Spider Jack re-entered the room, carrying what looked like a large bulky manila envelope. Heavily sealed in his hand, he tossed it on the table. "'There you are, Travers,' he said. "'I wonder,' suggested the leader pleasantly, "'if, now that we're here, Travers, "'your friend would mind letting us have this room "'for a few minutes to ourselves to clean up the business?' "'Sure,' agreed Spider Jack cordially. "'You're welcome to it. "'I'll wait out here in the store until you say the word.' He went out, closing the door after him the leader picked up the package we'll take no chances with this he said grimly it's been too close a call after we've had a look at it we'll put it out of harm's way on the spot here while we've got it before we leave he ripped the package open and disclosed perhaps a dozen official-looking documents beside a miscellaneous number of others he took up the first of the papers glanced through it hurriedly then tossed it to the pseudo chauffeur Tear it up and tear it up small," he ordered tersely. The next, after examining it as he had the first, he tossed to the other man, "Go ahead, curtly. Work fast." From the look of these, Travers had us cold. There's proof enough here of La Salle's murder to send us all to the chair. He went on glancing through the documents and then, suddenly, joining the others in their work, began to rip and tear at the papers himself. A sort of cold horror had settled upon Jimmy Dale, and his forehead was clammy wet the inhuman irony of it, that he should stand there and watch, impotent to prevent it, the destruction of what he would have given his life to secure. And then, slowly, a grim, hard, merciless smile came upon his lips. He had recognized the leader's voice. Now he would recognize the leader's face. At least that was left to him, perhaps the master trump of all. It would not be very hard to find the crime club now with that man to lead the way the scraps of paper tiny shreds mounted into a heap on the table and with the last of the contents of the package destroyed the leader stood up put these pieces in your pockets we don't want to leave them here he directed quietly and then let's get out in scarcely a moment the last scrap of paper had vanished the three men walked to the door passed through it and joined spider jack in the store and jimmy dale slipping out from behind the curtain gained the door of the rear room crept through it reached the stoop and then darting like the wind across the yard was over the fence in a second and in another was out of the alleyway and on the street he was in time in plenty of time they had just left spider jacks and were perhaps fifty yards or so ahead of him he slouched on behind them the cold grim smile on his lips once more It was the crime club now, that hell's cradle where the devil's schemes were hatched, that was the one thing left to him. They would lead him to that, and then, and then it would be his turn to strike. They turned the first corner, and suddenly, as the racing engine of an automobile caught his ear, he broke into a run and dashed around the corner after them, in time to see them jump into a car and the car sped off along the street. He halted, as though he were suddenly dazed, started involuntarily to run forward, stopped with a hollow laugh at the futility of it, and stood still and motionless on the sidewalk. And then he swayed a little, and his face grew grey. Failure, defeat, ruin. In that moment he knew them all to their bitterest dregs. How could he go to her? How could he face her, and tell her that they were beaten, that the last hope was gone, that he had failed? God! he cried aloud, and clenched his hands. Then, deep in his consciousness, a thought stirred, and he swept a shaking hand across his eyes. Why had it come again, that thought? Did it mean that he must play the last card? There was a way— There had always been a way. The way the crime club took. Murder. It was their own weapon. If the man who posed as Henry LaSalle were killed, if that man were killed. The magpie was to be there three, he muttered, and started mechanically back along the street. End of Part 2 Chapter 12 From The Adventures of Jimmy Dale by Frank L. Packard Read by Lars Rolander